Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You're listening to a new episode of the Founder Pack Podcast, where your host, Brendan Rod, brings startup stories from experienced founders and other functional experts to help current and future founders get inspired and grow their knowledge with quick tactical insights. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hey, Connor, welcome to the show. Hey, Brendan, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this with me. How is your week going so far? Uh, my week is going great. Always super, super busy, but... Um, and I just started watching Game of Thrones for a second time, so I haven't gotten a lot of sleep because uh, I'm up late watching that when I shouldn't. But... And there's a new one now as well. House of Dragons. Right. Yeah. What are uh, your do... thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, I don't like it as much as... Game of Thrones, however, were only five or so episodes. So, you know, Game of Thrones started off really, really slow as well. And so this one is kind of slow. So I don't know. To be determined, but I don't, I don't like it a ton. I still watch it, but I don't like it a ton so far. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I think you probably said it exactly how I would. Um, but I am optimistic, or as some of my British friends would say cautiously optimistic yeah. <laughs> that it will get better or maybe I don't know more intense but yeah. it's there there's some leading indicators that it's going to get uh, more interesting and action packed I I think they're known for the slow starts um, yeah. the long build build up so we'll see Yeah but anywho uh so yeah maybe kind of share with us a little bit about you anything interesting you're working on at the moment sure um first thing is i'm a triplet so uh you we don't took look my at... fun fact for for my fun fact question so you gotta Did I? Oh, sorry. have another one <laughs> i'll figure something out um i'm a triplet we're not identical it's probably the first thing everyone tries to say um so there's two brothers that are my age all running around um, what I'm working on now. So I am the, uh, CEO and co-founder of a company called Finn security. We basically, we teach people to recognize social engineering before it turns into like a loss of money or access or information that would be detrimental to the company. Uh, and specifically we work with a set of businesses called managed service providers to offer that to their clients. Cool. And like anything you're working on in specific um, product launches or any challenges in in the market not that there's uh, a day yeah. that doesn't go by without a challenge yeah uh, challenges right now uh, we're hiring some new folks so, you know anyone who's hired folks before you know that takes some time and especially when uh, you know uh, I'm not the most experienced with hiring I'm a young people aren't watching if they're listening I'm a younger guy so um that's always a challenge. We just actually released our first uh, API, developer API. So uh, that's awesome. I think that's like the first step towards being able to integrate really seamlessly with a lot of different environments. Uh, so we kind of just launched that. Uh, and then, of course, how could we not talk about cyber? How could we talk about cybersecurity and not talk about the Uber hack that happened? Um, that looks like it was a result of social engineering, uh, which you hate to see it, um, but uh, it's happening more often, which uh, is definitely increasing the visibility for the need for stuff kind of like what we do. So 
Yeah, the Uber hack has been over the news quite a bit lately. Um, so how has that sort of impacted your PR communications <laughs> in yeah. the last few weeks? Or it's just like, you know, another day at the office? It doesn't really impact what we're saying, uh, mainly because we've been advocating for security awareness and other really somewhat simple to implement security practices such as MFA and privilege access management, password managers, all that stuff. Um, so we've been advocating, we've been saying that for quite some time. Um, what really has changed is since we're working with MSPs, managed service providers that have to sell to their clients, their clients are way more informed about the dangers of social engineering and how to prevent it and phishing. So when our when our partners go to have that conversation, it's just way easier for them now because most people don't know what uh, even, you know, Microsoft Business Premium, they don't even know what those string of sentences mean, those words mean, but they do know what Uber is. So it's it's just way easier for, for them to have that conversation. Cool. And then you eluded subconsciously about what the topic of discussion will be today, and that's going to be focusing on on Gen Z and you're on the cusp as you as you mentioned but I think you'll provide a lot of value you know being on the cusp and also with your interactions with with Gen Z but before we go there what is the market like today you mentioned hiring and your age so I will get to the the Gen Z stuff later but like what's the kind of market dynamic right now in terms of hiring what's the situation depending upon who you listen to there are anywhere between one and a half to three million open cybersecurity positions right now uh, it's every level of cybersecurity so it might involve tech sales might involve an actual tier three technician all that stuff um so the really the good talent the people that are really good know they're really good and can command uh enormous salaries or commissions or just getting paid what they're worth at that point. Uh, and it's way, it's it's hard to find people to work in the cybersecurity industry in general. Uh, so that's what I see in terms of the hiring. Now, you mentioned like, you know, Gen Z being on the cusp and all that. Um, I do see a lot more technical ability in younger folks. That might just be, a, you know, I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't grow up with the internet at my fingertips. I didn't have iPhones and all that, but I did have a computer with a dial-up connection. So it's like my dad would always tell me, you know, he remembers what it was like to grow up with televisions. I'm like, how ancient are you that that was the thing that you need to make? Anyway, uh, so, and like the first video game, Pong, he remembers that. It's like, I remember playing World of Warcraft growing up. It's just a different perspective. I'm Technology is an enormous part of my life and it is of people that are my age and always will be. I guess it just depends if you kept with it as a passion and a hobby through your life. I think the medium and the, the advancement in technology is less relevant. But just to follow up on the hiring piece, so how is the recession affecting hiring in cybersecurity? I think it always adds more complexity. I will say this. I have seen no slowdown in our market, in cybersecurity, in managed services. Um, if there is a slowdown, it hasn't reached at least me yet in terms of, of, of affecting how much we're growing and the amount of people we're going to be able to hire. Um, so I don't know, maybe we're an insulated industry. 
<laughs> but uh, I haven't seen anything any different anything different as of now. So before we really open up the show, you got to throw in another fun fact about yourself. Another fun fact, because it doesn't count when you volunteer it. <laughs> okay, okay. Another fun fact. Uh, I love math, and actually. I I have a bunch of math textbooks right here to my left, but I'm not going to pull them up because that would be nerdy. Uh, I love math. I studied math in college, decided not to get a PhD. Um, and it has, uh, I, most people do Sudoku to calm down. Like it's a nice mental exercise. I do, you know, graduate level abstract algebra. I don't know. It's just what I do to calm down. Why? So it, uh, I actually answered this in a tweet that I had the other day. It's uh, what interested you in mathematics? And my answer was along the lines of the finality of yes, of, of correctness and incorrectness. There are no gradations to you being correct. There is, you are absolutely correct or you are absolutely wrong. That's all math cares about. Uh, so it was that along with at the time, you know, in high school and college, the only thing that was uh, somewhat challenging about my education was the math classes that I ended up taking. Um, and I liked it. So I, was, I just naturally gravitated towards more challenges and trying to go further down that line and decided to study it at, at school. What about chess? Do you like to play chess? <laughs> Not particularly. Um, no, I'd rather play a video game <laughs> than, uh, than, than chess, but uh, it is interesting. Yeah, I, the only reason I asked is because I was listening to a Lex Fridman podcast and yeah. he was interviewing these two sisters who are uh, chess streamers. So he's been interviewing a lot of famous chess yeah. players lately. So I've been like, hmm, I want, when my kid's a little older, I would love to get back into chess. Not that I ever was yeah. good at it, but I think it's a cool mental sharpness kind of exercise. It is. Um, so I, maybe better than playing video games, not to knock video games. <laughs> it might be. It might be. Uh, there's a little more problem solving depending upon the video game you're playing. But uh, my favorite chess streamer was Hikaru Nakamoto. Uh, I just and my favorite golfer is John Daly. So I always like the people that were just a little bit eccentric, which kind of Hikaru is in the really serious, proper chess world. Hikaru is just a guy that's trying to have fun and is really good at chess. Uh, so I always... I don't know that, that I just mentioned that I used to watch his chess streams all the time, even though I never played chess. Yeah, I can't imagine myself watching chess streams and also those World Cup FIFA <laughs> streams. Yeah. Like it's it's weird for me, but uh, each to his own. Um, yeah. So anyway, we digress. But I wanted to expand a little bit on what you were saying earlier about hiring and there's some challenges for you personally i think you mentioned your age so how do you overcome that what challenges are you seeing is it maybe all in your head or are you yeah. feeling it from the, the your your candidates uh it might be all in my head um that's the first thing <laughs> most experiences are anecdotal mine are not excluded from that um i would say this um I personally really value being able to work remotely. Um, and it's not necessarily because I don't want to go to an office. It's more of like, I personally would like to own my time. I want to do great work. I want to do it as much as I can, you know, as healthy, you know, work-life balance, all that stuff. Uh, but it's really important for me to be able to own my own time. And the majority of people my age, right, and the candidates that are around my age, millennials, Gen Z, 
feel roughly the same way is they would like to live where they want. They'd like to work when they want. Uh, and they would like some semblance of control over that, which means working from home. Um, and I see that contrast what, uh, you know, Henry Ford put into place the eight hour workday, eight, 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 eight hours of rest, eight hours of play, eight hours of work kind of deal, which uh, has worked for, you know, modernizing most of the world um, for the last hundred or so years. But I think at this point, there's been an enormous shift in not only accessibility, so people having access to technology and education, um, and there's such a shortage of just capable, technically educated folks that they could command, you know, I'm going to work how I want, when I want, where I want. And if you want me to do good work for you, you're going to honor that. Um, so I see that you know, that's like the biggest challenge right now between businesses and and hiring is that friction that exists in a large percentage of the capable workforce, which is people from their early 20s to their mid 30s. It's like most of the you know, working age folk in the world. So big, big problem. It's going to have to get solved. And, and as a young entrepreneur, founder, CEO, like, do you mingle with a lot of other founders and CEOs your age? Do you feel like you're at a disadvantage or an advantage being so young as a founder? Do you have any words of wisdom for others your age that don't have anyone to lean on or have that kind of mentorship? Yeah, uh, I would say words of advice are this. Uh, my grandfather said this to me. He said, um, son, your toughest thing is uh, it's not going to be being able to do something. It's going to be trying to figure out what you want to do. It's the first thing. It's like you're going to have all this opportunity. You're a technically able person. You're somewhat intelligent. You're educated. You're in America. Um, you're going to have the option to do most things that you want to do. Um, COVID, you know, ended up like fast forwarding that. Now I can do that anywhere from the world because everyone's remote because we, you know, people haven't for the last three years been able to work together in an office. Um, so I would say words of advice are figure out what you really enjoy. It's like, there's a, there's a way today, some way, somehow, if you try it hard enough and if you do it right enough to turn your passion into something that you can live on and sub, you know, subsistence and start a family and if that's what you want to do and like live your life. So I'd say find your passion, really get down to doing what you like. You have one life. Um, you should not spend the majority of that doing something you don't enjoy. And I know that might sound like I'm like, you know, in this ivory tower looking down at people. It's like, oh, I have all this privilege. So of course I can say, follow your passion. Uh, <laughs> I think following your passion is not wise in a lot of cases, but I think understanding, um, finding a job you enjoy that almost certainly could align with your passion is definitely possible. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is if you're around my age, I'm 26. If you're mid, if you're early to mid twenties to even mid thirties, this is the least responsibility you will ever have in your life. It's the time period right now. You, you might not have a family yet. You might not have kids yet. Um, you might not have um, like a career that you really want to build for the next 20 years. You're at a point where if there's a risk you want to take on something that you think you might enjoy doing or something you think is a really cool idea, you want to do something, you want to bring something into existence that doesn't exist, the time to do it was yesterday for, for us, for people that are my... And, I could argue that older people should also feel this way, but sometimes responsibilities get in the way. So what I try to tell people is like, if you want to take that risk, if you want to try to start that business, if you want to do something, you think you want to travel, you want to meet new people, you want to try new things. This is the best time in your life to do it. It's right now. Don't forget that. A lot of people just get like hung up in analysis paralysis is what I used to call it. 
And they're like, well, I might choose the wrong thing. And uh, speaking from experience, doing the wrong thing has always been the best thing for me ever. Not because it ended up being productive in any way, shape or form, but it taught me so much about what I didn't want to do, helped me refine what I do want to do. So don't be afraid to do the wrong thing. Just do something. What would you say you've had to compensate for being a young founder? Uh, the biggest one is ignorance. I'm too young to know almost, uh, um, even if I were 90 years old, I'd feel like I know nothing. Uh, one thing that was really beneficial about studying math, you feel stupid on a daily basis. You can't get away from it. Um, there's just an infinite amount of information you'll never know and you'll never be capable of understanding. And you just have to really come to terms with that at some point. So um, coming to terms with, I don't know how to do things. I didn't know how to hire before I hired my first person. And even arguably, I still don't know how to hire, but now I get it done differently. Um, I didn't know how to write code. I taught myself how to do that. I didn't know math when I first started. I taught myself how to do that. It's just this process of understanding I am wholly ignorant in many, many, many areas, including a, how I could should conduct myself in certain situations for the betterment of my company or me individually. I'm just ignorant. And just understanding that is really key. Uh, the second thing you mentioned was relationships. Um, a lot of people are willing to help out younger folk because it's really exciting for them when they see young people following their dreams. So when I'm in a scenario where I'm the youngest person in the room by 25 years plus, which is most places I go uh, and most rooms of people I end up trying to associate with, um, there is a challenge. I don't relate to most of them. I don't have the same problems. I don't have the same perspectives. You know, they're twice my age. So of course I wouldn't. However, uh, when they see uh, a young person that is taking those risks that I you know, alluded to earlier and really stepping out of a comfort zone to do something that they think is incredible, there is an enormous amount of people that are willing to help you along that path in any way that they can. Um, so I guess a third piece of advice I would give is along the lines of that, you have to be really keen on whose advice you should take and whose advice you shouldn't. Everyone's going to have problems with the way you do things. And I mean, like... I could sit here and say ice cream tastes great. And I have lived long enough to know that there is somebody on this planet that is going to disagree with me on that. And you just have to really understand when you're laying out your plans and your ambitions and your goals and what you think is going to, how things are going to unfold. You have to be very receptive to people criticizing every single aspect of that. Sometimes not criticizing it um, artfully, you know, they're being very blunt and sometimes mean. You have to be used to that. Uh, and this, and the, the most important piece of that, you have to know when they're right. You have to internally know if their criticisms are right uh, and if you need to change. Uh, and then almost equally as important, know when they're wrong. So you have to have a really good internal compass of where you're headed and why you're heading there. Uh, and your, your base goals have to really be aligned in order for you to recognize that. So, uh, and the second question was the, uh, the relationship thing. Um, I, I can absolutely see why people around my age would be viewed as less relational. Uh, our tendency to be buried in our phones, our tendency to, to want to do everything online. Um, I don't, I don't think, I don't at least feel that that has led to a lack of relationships uh, in my life. Personally, I have many great friends, great relationships with my family, my fiance and theirs and her family. So I don't think so. I could see why people would say that. I think it's more of a disconnect between, between um, we can get genuine connection 
uh, two people online in some way, shape or form, you know, cause we grew up in that area. It's, um, it's, maybe it's why older generations felt a genuine connection to Marilyn Monroe or the queen or the president, you know, back in the day, it was like a big part of their life to feel like they had a relationship with those folks. My generation doesn't feel the same way like that, but we do feel like we have relationships with the folks that maybe we haven't even met in person. So it's just a, a difference. I don't think it's a detractor. Maybe it's because of the path to the relationship is yeah. digital, but at the end of the day, when people meet face to face, whether it's Gen Z and Gen Z or Gen Z and millennial, we're all human at the end of the day. We're just a little different species or breed of human and generation. But at the end of the day, once we're at the park, we can play with each other. It's just how we get to meet each other is maybe different. Like you could also sort of uh, use the dating app analogy. Like now for the last 10 years, a lot of folks are meeting online versus face-to-face at a bar or you know in the supermarket or through a blind date or whatever yeah. so it's just the medium has changed in order to to meet someone so yeah. i guess that could enable that misconception so what do you do to kind of boost your confidence when you're hiring people older than you uh to, i'll say two things one uh, an incredible amount of failure that I have experienced uh, has led me to a certain amount of confidence. It's uh, not necessarily security in myself is probably the right word is um, there's not an experience that I could have that would shake my understanding of myself and my belief in who I am and what I can do and why I'm doing that. And that comes from an incredible amount of failure that I have personally experienced. Um, would you, you say that that's a prerequisite to learning? What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, no. Um, you learn the most when you fail. Um, if you do something right, you learn a lot. If you do something wrong, you learn infinitely more. And I know that that sounds like an incredible cliche because it is a cliche at some level, but it's, I can't tell you how accurate it is just personally for me. Um, the, um, uh, you had mentioned something else that I wanted to bring up and I forget what it was. Sort of prepping yourself for confidence when hiring older people. I don't know about insecurity, but I got a lot of a lot of self-doubt. If you're an entrepreneur, self-doubt is everywhere around you, internally and externally. And there's this constant battle. Imposter syndrome yeah. is another another big one. And it's a constant battle of is this is this gonna be the end of me? Right? Is my self-doubt gonna be the thing that destroys what I'm able to do and my confidence and my ability to execute and all these things? And it's uh, I told this to a, a friend of mine that wants to be a founder, and I said, I, and he's like, What's your secret? I said, the secret is it never goes away. You just get way better at dealing with it because you understand it's like, well, I've gotten through this for the past two years. What's one more day? What's one more week? What's one more month? I, I got this. And you just gradually build up a confidence to be able to put that to the side and continue doing what you think is best. Now, you had mentioned, is there any obstacle for you know talking to people that might, might be older or more experienced or more capable or smarter? I'll throw it better in any way, shape, or form, because there's a lot of that. Uh, and I would say it comes back to this. I have um, no, um, I have an enormous amount of confidence when I talk to those people. I have no qualms talking to those folks and trying to work with them uh, for a very specific reason. It's the type of leader that I want to be. Uh, so when I lead, I want people to follow me because it's in their best interest. I don't want to usurp somebody's individuality and usurp somebody's ability to feel 
um, like they're doing a great job or like they're dumb. I don't want them to feel like they have to work for me because they feel stupid and they think I'm smarter. It's like, that's, that's not the right reason. So I'm not nearly the smartest person in the room. And if you ever catch me saying that, like you have permission to call me on a kind of deal. Um, so it's more like, uh, I really view when I'm bringing someone into the fold, when I'm bringing somebody into my company, when they're willing to give me their life, like part of the, the time, not like their life in general, but part of their time. I view that as the most valuable thing in the world is your time. When somebody's willing to do that for me and for my company, it's like I view myself as their servant. So it's like everything that they would want to accomplish in life. My goal is to help them accomplish that now. It's like they have done, they have given me something that is, I view as infinitely valuable, even if they don't value it themselves. I can't possibly return the favor in any way, shape or form. Even if I paid them a hundred million dollars, it's like I still view their time as way more valuable than any sum of cash I could give them. So when somebody wants to work with me and when I want to work with them, it's like the only two things that I care about are, um, are you, are you going to enjoy this ride with us? Cause we're on a ride. All of us are, are you going to enjoy this and get really clear as to what that means. Uh, and the second thing is, do you actually believe this is the best thing for you? And if the answer to either of those is no, or, or not a resounding, this is awesome. Let's be a part. I want to be a part of it. I like what you're doing. I think I can help. I don't want to work with that person because at some point there's going to be a problem at some point in the future, there's going to be a stressful day and there's not going to be that North star that's going to align both of us. It's just going to create a, uh, an expectation that's not going to get met and then things are going to get messy from there. So that's why I, I don't worry about having those conversations or trying to work with people that are older or more capable. Everyone is pretty much older and more capable than me right now, given my age and given how stupid I feel. So that's, that's that. How do those conversations usually go, those interviews, when there's this age gap and you're on the lower side of the, the table? Like, do people sort of feel you out? I know you a little bit longer yeah. and I think you're much wiser than your, your age. And I was just curious, maybe that's a, my next question. Like, how did you get so mature as a founder, you know, with so little time on the job, but Aside from that, how do those conversations go? Do people start to res sort of respect and align with your culture and your way of thinking during the call? Are they like suspicious in the beginning? Like, and, and how do you handle those calls and kind of seal the deal, get those people on board? And, and, yeah. and, and not to mention that you're a startup, so <laughs> everything's <Yeah>. against you. <laughs> yeah, the whole world is against me all the time. Uh, I would say this, um, there's a certain amount of, um, uh, expertise of experience, not experience, but knowledge that you have to have in. So for instance, in my industry, I have to know about security awareness. I have to know about what it takes to change human behavior. I have to know how to build these programs for compliance. There's a certain set of information that if I don't have, there is no respect that gets commanded. Nobody could possibly work for me if I'm incapable of knowing enough about their job to do it on my own if I tried. Um, so that's the first thing is I've been studying this exact problem day in, day out, multiple hours a day, nothing else but this for almost four years now. So I know more about this subject than most people do. Uh, that's the first. And that's not like a bragging thing. That is a, I spent so much time digging into this and trying to do it that it just leads to expertise in some area. Um, and then the second thing is that combined with, um, uh, a certain amount of understanding that it's not my way or the highway. 
Uh, I want people who are capable. I'm hiring people for their capabilities. I'm working with them because they're just good people. Um, that usually commands a certain amount of respect because the people that want that uh, relationship um, are the people that would respect me for allowing it, for, for valuing that. So primarily I value, it's like, I, you're here because I don't know how to do something. It's like, I have all this knowledge and this expertise and I'm a subject matter expert in these very key specific areas, but it's like, I want you for this little piece because I don't know how to do that well. And I think you do. It's, I'm not bringing you on because I can do that better than you. I want you to work with us because I want you to be the reason we do that well as a company. And so that, that narrative usually commands a certain amount of respect because people really, that makes people feel really valued. And when people feel valued, they usually feel better about themselves and they usually do a better job, it turns out. So can you put your finger on like a couple of things that you feel yeah. sells people to, to join your company and to join you? Yeah, there's three things specifically, flexibility, energy, opportunity. So flexibility, um, we're a remote first company. We don't have an office space. I mean, we'll have to get one at some point because we got to grow up at some point, but like whatever, no, I don't, it's remote first. You control your time. We don't even have um, really rigid set work hours. Now we work 10 to six actually, uh, but uh, what I, you know, me and my co-founder, when we started this, what we wanted to make really clear is if you have, I thought that, when, uh, I'll tell it through this story. When, when people would tell me how they work, it's like they'd have to go get a doctor's note in order to go get like a blood test or something. And they have to take time off to go take care of their health. And when I met my co-founder, I was like, that, that feels horrible. It's like, if you're worried about your health, you're not mentally here. If you're worried about your health, you're not going to do your best work. It's like, so the first thing we did was like, don't tell us. It's like, just tell us you're not going to be here. It's like, if you need to go take care of your health, if you need to feel good about where you are in your life, that you're healthy and that you're happy, it's like, go take the time to do that. You don't have to take PTO for that. You don't have to be, you know, request that 37 days in advance and make sure that it doesn't fall on this full moon because that's when we do our sprint cycles. It's like, that felt stupid. Again, it felt like a weird control over people's lives that I didn't want to have. I wanted people to be able to take care of themselves. So it's kind of that flexibility. It's one piece of it. But the second is the, um, the energy. Um, startups are <laughs> inventing a business that did not exist out of thin air and making money. It's like literally uh, every time that we're doing something really tough or there's a tough conversation that we have with a, with a partner of ours, uh, I talk to our team, our, our developers and our employees, and I'm like, you guys got to keep in mind, you all have to keep in mind, we're doing the impossible every day. Every day we wake up and we invent something that did not exist the previous day. And everything else that you mentioned earlier, everything else on, in this entire world is against us in that battle. Things are going to go wrong. That's more than okay. It's expected. If things aren't going wrong, I think somebody's lying to us is usually how I approach that. So it's like this. Um, energy of we're doing the impossible. We're doing something exciting. We're all on a mission. We're all pushing towards a direction. And our mission is to end human vulnerability. It's just, it's not this like, we're going to make a better plug into Salesforce so that you can, you know, optimize your sales funnels by 0.3%. And no, it's like, while that may be a great company for somebody else, it's not what I want. It's not what anyone who works with us wants. So there's just this energy that that's created as a result of the vision that we have. Uh, and the, the third was opportunity. When, um, when we bring somebody on, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be frank. We have a growth plan that's going to get us to a team of like 21, somewhere between 21 and 23 by the end of next year. So when we're bringing someone on today, it's like, 
your job is going to be to build these processes that allow us to scale, to bring those other team members on, on board. And then guess what? You're going to have the opportunity to manage them if you're the capable person at doing so. So whenever we bring somebody on, it's like, you're going to have an opportunity to build yourself forward 10 years in your career. You went from an account executive to a VP in sales in the span of six months because, well, you worked with us. You're not going to get that at another company that's you know entrenched in the space. Uh, and also me and my co-founder, this is debatable topic. We made a very, very, very um, intentional decision to set aside an enormous options pool for all of our employees um, before, like at the incorporation of our company, we did that. And so we have an enormous options pool to, um, to give to everyone that decides to work with us and to come with us to participate in the success when we have it. And as we have, it. um, a lot of people have, <laughs> have, have told me we did the wrong thing by doing that. And we gave up so much, we're going to be giving up so much money when, whenever we exit and whatever, blah, 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 blah. And um, I don't, I fr frankly don't care about that opinion. Uh, I feel really good uh, about doing that. And everyone who works with us has a piece of this company. And so um, that mentality not only leads to them working harder, uh, but also um, it, uh, it it goes back to the control over the time thing. It's like, you're you're giving me your time, but what I'm giving you in return is a portion of the success you've helped create. Um, it's not just a, you're not just a wage slave as some people would, you know, name it. You are here building a thing that you own partially of. So it's, it's a way different narrative. I want to come back to my earlier compliment when I said you're wise beyond your years. What are you reading? Who are you talking to? Do you have mentors? How did you get to this point in your life where you have so much knowledge and business acumen and even <laughs> i would say this progressive mentality of running a business and 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 culture building so uh i can definitely give book recommendations at some point i have a million books back here and i have about 400 more that i've read at, at my parents house before i moved out i know what i'm gonna get you for your birthday a bookshelf <laughs> i would love it i moved into this home and that is my bookshelf it's just my dresser so <laughs> I would appreciate that for sure. Um, so, so what led me to the way I think? Uh, the first thing is my dad, for sure. Um, he is a bit of an entrepreneur. He's always in real estate. So actually, um, I started doing real estate investing in college to pay for my loans. So I flipped about 14 homes while I was in college to pay for almost all of my loans. I still have a little bit. And during that process, uh, that 15th home I purchased... Uh, I had tapped about a million and a half in in uh, credit that I had with a, with uh, a group of investors, and I wanted to buy this home. It was I was flipping four at the time, so this was going to be the fifth. I was going to flip consecutive, like at a t at the same time, and uh, they said, "No, I'm not going to give you any more money. Uh, I don't think you should buy this home for these reasons, <laughs> and you don't know what you're talking about." And I said, "Screw you guys! You don't know what you're talking about. Everything I touch turns to gold." Uh, I was like 21 at the time and, uh, I'm going to buy this, took all the money that I'd saved up, which was ended up being just about a hundred grand, a little, a little closer, a little less than a hundred grand, bought this home, started flipping it. And that project went so poorly that I lost every single dollar that I put into it. And, um, what a lot of people don't know is 
uh, when you flip a home, you make and lose all your money when you buy it, not when you sell it. Like the, the, the amount of money you will make or lose is already set in stone the second you buy that property. And so the only way to get through that and to get to some semblance of profit or to lose the least amount of money possible is to complete the entire thing. And that takes a lot of time. It took about eight months in this case. And so for about eight months, I knew that I had lost everything that I had worked for four years for, that I had my nights, my weekends, not hanging out with friends, not hanging out with my girlfriend, not hanging out with family, not studying. I gave up not playing lacrosse, which I loved in college. Like I gave up four years of that. All of it went up in smoke because I made a stupid decision against the advice of the people that I had trusted. Uh, and so for about six months after that, I got really depressed. I'm talking like didn't want to wake up in the morning, wished that something had happened during my sleep and I didn't need to be here anymore. And I had never felt like that before. And then after that experience, like one day I woke up, I was like, screw it. Uh, I can feel like this for the rest of my life, or I can decide to do something about it. I made a mistake. It cost me proposing to my girlfriend two years after I was, I was going to buy a house. I was going to propose to my girlfriend. I was going to start a family. I was going to start a life that shot off two years into the future immediately. And so I was like, I can decide to sulk about this till the day I die, or I can do something about it. And like at the snap of a finger, uh, my mentality changed. I just became laser focused on getting through this and trudging. It's like, uh, what Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep going. It's like, that was the mentality I had was just, I'm going to get through this and I'm going to be okay. I'm going to lose everything, but I'm okay with that. Um, and then in that process, I really discovered I don't really like real estate. <laughs> I had done it because it was entrepreneurial and it was easier to access than technology, but I was always math inclined. I was always technology inclined. So I moved back in with my parents because I had no money anymore. I was in their basement for well, a year and a half. And during that year and a half, um, I built the precursor to what I'm doing now. I just laser focused on, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what I'm going to do but I know that I'm enjoying this. Uh, and that failure that led, it's like almost like a Phoenix rising from the ashes. So it's, it's that failure that has given me a lot of what looks like confidence. Uh, the reality is it's like security. It's personal security. I know I don't know everything. I know I suck at making a lot of decisions. I know I'm going to make the wrong ones, but that's not going to prevent me from making the decisions that I think need to get made anymore. So well, that's an inspiring story. Thank you for sharing it. So are you reading a lot? Do you have mentors? Like who, yeah. who else are you sort of taking with you along the journey? So uh, my dad, I already mentioned my dad. He's the first. Um, failure as a mentor. That's why I wanted to tell that story. Uh, one, of my, one of my best friends, his name is Jacob Garlic. I don't know if anyone's going to go look at him. He's actually the first person to write a check uh, into my company. And he was an investor first, and now he's a friend. He is just the most helpful person, most kind, generous person I've ever, one of them that I've ever met, just super helpful. Um, Co-founders of Perch Security, Wes and Aaron Spen uh, Wes Spencer and Aaron Chernin. They also wrote, they believed in me enough to give me, at the time, an enormous amount of money. Uh, and I will be forever, forever, forever indebted to them for taking that risk on me and my co-founder. Um, and also I talk with them on a regular basis and they just help me out with a lot of decision and information that I don't have. So they do mentor me. Six, uh, my co-founder, Josh. Um, 
it's interesting. Josh and I get along really well, like very, very well. We're best friends. I am completely the opposite of him. Like we disagree on a lot of things. Um, he's vegan. I'm not. It's just like one iota, one example. Uh, we are very, very different in very many ways. But the thing that we are both dedicated to is the truth at all costs. So he puts his ego aside. I put my ego aside. And the thing we want to arrive at is what is best for the mission that we're on together, which is Finn at this point. Uh, and so a lot of conversations that I have with him, a lot of a lot of books that I read, a lot of things that I do are a result of him and I discovering those things together. Um, and the seventh would be, here's like 30 books, but I have read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books on business, entrepreneurialism, history. History is a great, great learner. What else do I got here? Uh, networking, financial systems, not being an asshole, socialism, <laughs> um, hiring, another math book. It's an infinite, infinite series. Like every single one of those uh, books um, just changes the way I think, changes the way I want to do things. So. Yeah, you hinted there with the Winston Churchill quote, and um, sounds like a good book to yeah. get caught up on. So maybe to end off the, the show, because I know we're running up on time, I wanted to ask your opinion on uh, hiring and retaining Gen Z versus millennials. What would you say are the, the major draw points for each? Yeah, uh, so if you want to hire and retain Gen Z, there's a few things that you really need to get right. One is, um, I'm not saying you have to be remote only, and in a lot of companies, that's not the best thing to do. If you want to retain Gen Z, we value, and, and millennials, we value our time more than anything in the world. A lot of us do. And we would take less money to work uh, uh, more freely, if that makes sense. Second is, if you can, uh, rigid work hours are a thing of the past. It was literally, I already alluded to that, it was invented by Henry Ford to try to get people to be more productive so he could build more Model Ts. Um, that worked for the industrial age. It worked for manufacturing. We're in a technically abled world where you're asking people to not only be technical, but to become more technical as they work with you. Eight hours a day, nine to five. Consider rethinking that. Let them work different hours. Let them decide when they want to work. Uh, measure productivity, not time, like not time spent doing something. Productivity is way more important. Now that is an enormous problem. So uh, I'm not pretending that I know how to do that. I'm just saying figure it out. <laughs> um, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then the third, um, I would say, um, purpose. Uh, and this is, this is, uh, this is, a probably the biggest sticking point between, um, people around my generation and people in older generations is my generation is very tied to the purpose and the mission of the company that they work at. The, social goals, the cultural implications of that, the um, everything, everything a company does is important to us and why we work there. And now, given that most companies are willing to hire remotely and provide flexibility, we have the choice. We're not, we're not restricted to a certain locale based upon where we were born, most likely, um, for the companies we work at. So now purpose and the type of company and how we view the company in terms of like a, a morality and whatever your sense of morality is good or bad. It's very important to us. Um, and so don't just poo poo the, the, um, the page initiatives. What was that? The paycheck or the yeah. vision of the company. 
Yeah, pay, yeah, paycheck. I was going to say, yeah, don't just sweep under the rug the initiatives or the, the social initiatives or the um, um, what what companies would like to do to promote whatever inclusion or diversity or help the community in some way, whether it's fight homelessness or veterans or anything. Don't don't ignore that because the what your company ends up allowing them to do if they feel like it helps them bring more good into the world, it's very important, more important than you probably think. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're in a position to hire folks that are about my age and you're not from my generation, it's, it's very important. So, and we, we probably should have done this at the beginning of the show, but better late than never. So just for those who want a bit more clarity, millennials are 1981 to 1996, age 26 to 41, and Gen Z's would have been born between 97 and 2012. Ages yeah. 10 to 25. So just to give context at the end of the show, <laughs> but hopefully yeah. we kept you long enough to want to stay tuned in. And I'm 26. That's why you and I have been, I straddle the line. So I'm not technically a Gen Z, but uh, I relate to a lot more of them than I do most millennials. <laughs> so, And that's why I really was excited to, to get you on the show. So Connor, I could speak with you for hours. This has been fascinating. If anyone would like to pick your brain and catch up with you, whatever, where's the best place to connect? Uh, send me an email directly uh, or find me on LinkedIn. So on LinkedIn, it's just Connor Swam. Um, and uh, my email is Connor at, and then my company, finsecurity.com. That's P-H-I-N security.com. Awesome. Always happy to chat. And maybe one last plug, are you going to be on the road in any trade shows, conferences? Maybe people can also come and see you there. Yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be at IT Nation Connect in Orlando in uh, November. Uh, and then we will also be at uh, the Q4 of the seven-figure MSP event in Orlando in late October, the last week of October. Um, so yeah, those are the two for the rest of the year. Then we got some stuff planned for next year. Well, thank you, Connor. Really appreciate you doing this with me. No, thanks for having me on. I had a blast. It was great talking with you, Brandon. You're welcome. And hope to see you in the Founder Pack community some more. We need that. We need that wisdom sharing with everyone else. <laughs> the problem is I don't feel, I don't feel wise. Uh, I just say what I mean and I mean what I say. So I give you full permission to chuck that, those thoughts out the window. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Take care, everyone. Bye. See ya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Founder Pack Podcast with Brendan Roth, part of the ITSB Magazine Podcast Network. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share the channel and ITSBMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey.